Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank Young. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka, CAM. The technology exists already to address climate change. We just need citizens like you and me to take personal action and to demand that our local, provincial, and federal politicians and business leaders and community leaders also take action. Visit the Climate Action Muskoka website. Sign up for the free weekly newsletter. You can learn about the weekly climate strikes in Bracebridge, Huntsville, and Sundridge. There's all kinds of articles and local and international news on what's happening in climate change. My guest today is Steve Peck. I'm very pleased to have Steve with us today. He is the founder and president of Green Roofs for Healthy Cities, which is a nonprofit professional industry association. Steve, welcome to Climate Action, Muskoka's uh, climate, uh, Carbon Drawdown radio show. Thanks, Frank. Great to be here. Yeah, Steve, you are, um, you're, in my estimation, you're doing the work of the angels. You're, um, the green roof idea is one that I've been hearing about all my life, and I know it's, it's starting to happen. And, and it's a, a large part uh, because of you that it's happening so well in Toronto and not to mention around the continent and the world. You oversee half a dozen staff and you have a continent-wide 14-member board of directors. That's very impressive. How did you get started on this, Steve? Well, I was uh, doing work uh, as a consultant for the federal government a couple of decades ago on technology, innovation and diffusion and how to move environmental technologies into the market and what the role of the government uh, is in that regard. And at the same time, I was working locally uh, on the Don River. I lived in Toronto at the time and I lived uh, close to the Don River. So I was working on uh, sort of protecting and enhancing the Don River watershed, which is a very degraded watershed. Yeah, it runs to the middle of Toronto. And the idea of green roofs uh, came along, uh, was introduced to me by a gentleman by the name of Brad Bass at a, an event in 1997. And it just sort of, it was a technology that was already flourishing in Europe. And it had all these positive urban sustainability aspects associated with it. And the two came sort of yeah. came together like a, like a well-hewn sandwich, you know, peanut butter and jam, boom. And I just said, oh, I got to go after this. This is it's a fantastic opportunity. So I've I've met a few people before who are sort of like you. They just caught on caught on to an early an idea coming out in in Canada and just latched onto it and stuck with it for decade after decade. Um, I, my last guest was Paul Geip, and he was basically the same thing. He picked up the idea of wind power and and ran with it and turned it into a career and a business in it. And um, and 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 you are another example of that. It's very impressive. Um, you seem to claim that there are economic, social, and environmental benefits to green roofs, green walls, and other forms of living architecture. Tell us first what's living architecture and uh, and uh, go through the environmental, economic, and social benefits. Oh, well, living architecture is when you take um, non-living uh, systems uh, like, you know, concrete and, you know, modified bitumen, bitumen waterproofing and steel, and you combine them with living systems and you bring them together on the building envelope, on the roof and the walls of buildings. 
Uh, that's what we call living architecture, <clears throat> architectural systems. And they have quite a large range of benefits associated with them. You know, every time we put a building up, Frank, we take a piece of the earth away, you know, in terms of the biodiversity and the ecological function of that chunk of earth. So, you know, you build a new uh, big box grocery store and it's two acres and that but two acres gets obliterated. Right. So one of the things that we can do from a biodiversity point of view is we can design green roofs and, and walls to actually give back some of that biodiversity, certainly not all of it, but give back some of that biodiversity. Um, and we can also manage rainwater. One of the things we need to do, particularly in cities, given the impacts of climate change, is we need to capture the rain when it falls in and around buildings and use it to sustain plants. The plants help cool, cool our cities off um, through evapotranspiration by, by using the water that they have to, to grow, which cools the surrounding environment. And the growing medium and the plants, the things that the growing medium, the materials that the plants grow in and certain drainage layers and so forth can hold and retain and detain the stormwater, which often falls very aggressively now in cities. So you can kind of get both benefits at the same time. And then of course, the fourth major benefit has to do with uh, public amenity space and human health and well-being. You know, if we want to be more sustainable, we have to grow cities up rather than out. You know, if we keep growing cities out, what we do is we end up eliminating farmland. Uh, we eliminate uh, green space. We have to build more highways, which eliminates more farmland and green space. And sprawl has been devastating, right, in terms of what its impact on the environment. So if we can grow cities up, but make them really healthy places for people to live with lots of green space and amenity space, which is at a premium, as we found out, you know, during COVID when people were desperate to get outside into green space, that's a real benefit for the health and well-being. And it facilitates us growing cities up rather than out. Yeah, it seems like. Uh, everyone these days talks about the, the benefits of having green space around you with plants growing. We call it forest bathing, but there are, you know, there are 15 million people in the GTA and they can't necessarily get out to a forest because of the reasons you said, because of sprawl. But I suppose if you have um, green roofs, green walls, interior and exterior um, plants growing everywhere, then I suppose all these benefits would be handy to everyone, more or less uh, every day, all day long. And it might have a tremendous uh, health effect, a psychological effect on people. Uh, it sounds it sounds fabulous. Um, there's also there's also a social justice aspect to this, Frank. You know, because when you look at um, when you look at uh, aerial photography of uh, of our communities, you often find that the areas that have the least amount of green space. Yeah. are also the areas where they're socially and economically the most challenged, uh, particularly in the United States, because we operate in Canada and the United States, but also in Canada to some extent. So um, those people often live in food deserts where they can't uh, you know, easily access uh, fresh food. And we do have people that are farming on, on rooftops right now um, and supplying food right, very locally to the surrounding community. Um, and they don't have access to that green space uh, in those areas. And they also have often um, more negative impacts in terms of air quality, for example, higher yeah. rates of asthma. Yeah. You know, so there's a correlation between lack of green space in urban areas and um, the lack of, uh, of justice, uh, um, environmental justice. And we can remedy that um, in part, not certainly wholly, but in part by integrating more green infrastructure, which is yeah. all green living technologies into cities, yeah. and particularly in these areas. 
That's excellent. So, what's the what's the blockage that's reduced that's stopping more? Is it does it, is it should it be part of the building code or is there cost or can you just do it on flat roofs, which there are very few. They're just the downtown ones and the, and warehouses, etc. What's the blockage? Why don't we have much greener cities that people have been talking about for decades, but it's sort of slow in coming. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things about the the building industry is that it has operated for quite a long time on the side first cost principle, um, you know, where you only look at the, the, the costs and the benefits that accrue immediately to whoever is, you know, making the investment. And a lot of the benefits that come from green roofs and walls are benefits that aren't first first cost or benefit based. They, they, they uh, take place over years, right, after um, a green roof or wall has been uh, um, implemented. So there's sort of an economic disincentive um, for many classes of buildings to uh, implement these technologies. And the other thing is a lot of the big box buildings in particular, if you look at them, you know, there's just steel boxes. They're not really meant uh, built to last very long. Um, and one of the benefits of, of green roofs is the ability to keep membranes um, healthy and without mm -hmm. leaks for a long time, you know, 20 years, 30, 40 years or, or longer. Yeah. So that those benefits stretch out over time, but the costs are all front end loaded. So we need public policy in place in order to overcome that um, because the, in order to stretch that, the value proposition over a long period of time. Yeah. And that's what the city of Toronto did with the green roof bylaw that it passed uh, 12 years ago that we worked with the city to develop. They made green roofs mandatory on um, all new, um, most new classes of buildings. And as a result, they have 9 million square feet of green space that they wouldn't otherwise have. That's amazing. Uh, that's impressive. Yeah, um, we've had a, a heat wave of, of the last couple of weeks. It was pretty hot in, uh, in Southern Ontario. Um, do you have any statistics uh, or, or whatever notions of how it would how we would be we would get through heat what would the temperature be lower if we had extensive uh, green roofs and green walls well green roofs and walls can't stop a heat wave from happening let's be clear about that but what happens when you replace um, vegetation with asphalt and pavement and roofscapes is you basically turn your city into kind of like a hot plate. So when the sun comes down and hits these surfaces, these surfaces warm up and heat the air, and that causes what's called the urban heat island, which is um, which is a phenomenon in communities over you know from fifty thousand and up, where there's certain areas of the city are hotter than the surrounding countryside, and that's because there's all these non-vegetated surfaces. So when we put a green roof into a into a city uh, or a community, we take away that source of heat. Uh, and we replace it with a source of cooling, the plants and the vegetation, the vegetation, the plants, the growing medium, right? That will evapotranspirate because when water goes from a, a liquid into a gaseous form, there's a net loss of energy. So it's actually like a, it's like an outdoor air conditioning. A tree does the same thing, you know, when trees um, um, transpire, they suck up water for, through the roots and that energy from the sun is used in that process rather than used to heat up the surrounding area. Plus, there's a shading benefit and there's energy savings, uh, which also means less heat being transferred by air conditioning units to the outdoors, right? Every time we air condition an indoor space, we heat up an outdoor space, right? right? So we can reduce that by having a green roof and wall too. So if you get enough of these systems in place, you can actually affect the, the climate. You can bring the temperature of the 
uh, community down. And when you do that, you know, you're, it gives you a little bit of a cushion against the next heat wave. So rather than it being, you know, 39 degrees centigrade, it's 35 or 36 degrees centigrade, which isn't going to solve the problem of heat waves, but it makes them more, more bearable. And it gives us a bit of a, of a cushion against some of those impacts of climate change. Ah, That's very, very, very interesting. Um, We're going to take a little break right now and we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, Hold on, uh, stay with us, everyone. And Steve will be back and we have a lot more to talk about. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome back to Muskoka Drawdown. And uh, I'm your host, Frank DeYoung, and we have a wonderful guest today with us, and it's Steve Peck. He's the the founder and president of Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. He is a green roof professional. Steve, tell us how many of people like you are around that you would call a a GRP? We started the uh, Green Roof Professional Accreditation Program, which is a training and accreditation program. Uh, about uh, 14, 15 years ago, because the industry was so new um, that, uh, you know, we needed a baseline of um, standard knowledge and practice throughout the industry so that green roofs would be properly installed, uh, properly maintained. um, And there are people knowledgeable in that field. So uh, we've trained uh, well over 5,000 people across North America with the GRP green roof professional program. And, um, so there's a base of knowledge out there which improves uh, the performance of these systems in terms of their implementation. Because with something new, with a new technology, there's always opportunities for, you know, mistakes and errors. And uh, um, we really wanted to stabilize the industry and make sure that these projects were developed and implemented properly. So that's why we created the GRP Green Roof Professional designation. Yeah. And so, how extensive are you? Like, I know I see you're North America. Do you get over to Europe and Asia once in a while? Um, I'm one of the uh, founding members of an organization called the World Green Infrastructure Network. World Green Infrastructure Network is an association of green roof associations around the world. We have about 26 member countries, um, and we get together uh, on an annual basis with an international meeting where we talk about best practices. And uh, and so the, the green roof industry is a multi-billion dollar industry globally. Now there are some really big players, um, really big companies involved. And, uh, you know, there are literally, you know, tens of thousands of projects being implemented worldwide every year, um, which is what we need because in order to get the kind of benefits that I was just talking about in terms of the urban heat island, you got to get to scale. You can't just have one, you know, green roof every 10 buildings. You need to get green roofs implemented as a as and mainstream the technology so that they're widely implemented and when you get enough of them that's when you get some of the the benefits in terms of reducing flooding from stormwater and you get the biodiversity benefits and the urban heat island benefits oh by the way you know if you reduce the urban heat island if you reduce the temperature in the city by one degree centigrade you you shave off about four percent off the uh, peak load demand for electricity and cooling in other words if you cool the outside everybody reduces their air conditioning. And that of course saves greenhouse gas emissions because we're still using, um, you know, carbon-based fuels for electricity in Ontario, unfortunately. And many jurisdictions even are still using coal. So if we can reduce energy consumption in buildings, 
uh, by reducing the temperature outside, we can have a very uh, significant impact on uh, climate change uh, mitigation as well yeah. as that adaptation. Right. So it's like a double, you know, it's two, it's like, it's like peanut butter and jam coming together in a sandwich again. <laughs> I'm, glad you didn't say, I'm glad you didn't say killing two birds with one stone. No, I couldn't say that to a <laughs> former Green Party leader. That would be inappropriate. Um, yeah, you also seem to think that um, agriculture is compatible with green roofs. Yes. I mean, we, I mean, the urban agriculture scene is still very young. It's only been around for about 12 years. Some of the first green roof farms were planted 10, 10, 10 11 years ago, starting out, out in New York, actually, is where it got started. We have a couple of urban farms in Toronto. There's a really beautiful one uh, just in Montreal as well. Um, and, you know, we can um, grow food on rooftops. It's, uh, there's a lot of benefits to it, right? Uh, the case, uh, uh, in Ryerson, they use the food, uh, they do experiments and research on the, on the rooftop farm in Ryerson, but they also provide food uh, to, the, to students uh, in Ryerson. Um, and uh, a lot of food is often grown uh, and supplied in the building upon which it sits. So the IGA farm uh, in Montreal actually produces pr uh, produce that's sold in the IGA to the people locally, organic, high quality, as fresh as you can be. We just walked it down the stairs, produce. We've got job opportunities that come from, you know, um, hiring people to work on farms. And so I think urban farms are going to be really uh, uh, important in, in our future. Um, and also because they address a, a sort of sleeping issue, a sleeper issue, which is food security. You know, we don't think about food security. You don't hear about it very much. But yeah. one of the things that's a danger uh, with climate change is that it is eroding traditional agriculture. Uh, through drought and 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 heat, um, you know, among other things. So as our as we erode our traditional agricultural capacity, we need to we need to begin to look at substituting it with other ways of forming and creating the food that we need to survive. And urban agriculture and rooftop farms are going to be, I think, a pretty big part of that as we move into the future. Yeah. Um, is there also a, um, a mutual benefit between um, uh, photovoltaics PV? and uh, rooftop gardens are they uh, exclusionary or complementary well they're very complementary uh because um with photovoltaic uh, panels um there's a certain temperature when they reach a certain temperature which i think is about uh, 20 21 degrees centigrade they begin at, for every degree of uh, they get hotter and hotter above that they lose the efficiency with which they are able to, to uh, generate electricity as they get hotter they become less efficient but when you integrate uh, a, a green roof uh, and a solar panel system on a roof, there are a variety of different benefits. One is um, increased energy production, anywhere from 5 to 15%, depending on a bunch of factors in terms of climate and the arrangement of the panels and so forth. So you get more en energy from each panel. Um, the panels can be... Um, secured to the roof using the weight of the growing medium and the plants and the drainage wow. board. So you don't have to put separate roof penetrations through the roof, which is a potential wow. cause of leaks. Symbiotic. Yeah, that's a symbiotic benefit. The shading of the panels um, of the areas below actually facilitates plant growth. And there's research going on right now, particularly in Denver, Colorado, looking at um, rooftop agrovoltaics, where we've got food production under panels solar panels and a green roof, all three of those things happening on a roof simultaneously. And what kind of food can we grow? And 
they're looking at a bunch of issues around about how to design those types of systems so that we get, you know, we get the energy that we need, we get the food that we need, we get the cooling, the green space, the biodiversity, the stormwater management, the you know, pollution, anti-pollution benefits. You get all those things in one system, which is which is really cool. Yeah. I um when I lived in Toronto, we had a flat roof on our house. So how contingent is this on having a flat roof? Do we need flat roofs or can you do a lot with um, angle roofs? Well, you know, think about it this way. <laughs> think about like, uh, you know, you have a, a flat roof and then you start to tilt it up gradually, right? Yeah. When does the flat roof become a green wall? Exactly. You know, at some point, it, at some point, it becomes a green wall, right? I'm not sure if it's at 70 degrees or 90 degrees, but you know, we basically can put up. We have the technology to put a uh, vegetation on virtually any surface now. You know, yeah. um, the 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 limitation is not so much that um, as it is uh, the scale. Like with smaller buildings, like individual residences and stuff, it's often not economical. Um, to, to do a green roof project because there's a lot of sort of fixed costs associated with it. And as the projects get bigger, the expense drops, you know, there's a, there's an economy of scale built into green roof projects in particular, um, which is why we don't see a lot of individual homes with sloped roofs, you know, um, going about uh, implementing green roof projects, yeah. only really multi multi-million dollar homes with multiple car garages. We see that, that type of stuff, but Typically, not too many of those small projects. Mostly industrial, commercial, and multi-unit institutional buildings are where we see yeah. uh, it making sense to, to economically right now to put green roof uh, policies. Yeah. Now, some cities do have um, incentive programs, like the city of Toronto has the Eco Roof Program, where they will provide a financial incentive for a homeowner to put a green roof on. So it's not impossible to do it, Frank. But uh, yeah. generally, um, uh, yeah, we we don't typically uh, put uh, green roofs on, you know, shingled. Uh, roofing systems. We look for waterproofing systems, and we t- typically are looking at flat roofs yeah. with a gentle slope, like a twelve percent slope, to, to yeah. grade so that they drain uh, properly. Yeah. We have this um, this this notion that nothing progressive happens in the USA, but I understand there's a public school green rooftop program bill passed in the USA. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So that's um, we um, as part of the infrastructure uh, plan that Biden, the original infrastructure plan that Biden was uh, working on, um, we uh, we lobbied um, a number, we were lobbying a number of um, congressional representatives to try to get a, a public school uh, green roof incentive program in place. Um, and it would have provided financial support for <clears throat> schools in, in poor neighborhoods throughout the United States to um, to um, research and design and implement and maintain green roofs for the students in those schools. These are again underserved neighborhoods. It was yeah. sort of an eco justice kind of exercise. Unfortunately, that whole effort got uh, bogged down when um, uh, the Democrats couldn't rally the support they needed from certain senators. Uh, uh, Mansion, in particular, uh, sort of deep six the whole exercise. Now they've just the Senate just this week has passed a $365 billion climate change health uh, related bill. And, and um, um, maybe it's in there. Uh, yeah. It would be nice if it was, we haven't had a chance to, it has to go to the, to the house. Now the bill from the Senate to the house, because they both yeah. have both chambers have to approve it, but yeah. it, is, it hasn't actually been implemented um, that particular okay. program, although it had everything you could possibly want in terms of benefit. Yeah. Um, 
we are out of time now, but I just want to give you um, a chance to promote and plug your website. I, I've I've perused your website and it's got hundreds of examples and it's wonderful laid out. It's you can learn a lot by just cruising your website. So give us a plug. Yeah. So if you're interested in uh, green roofing, if you're uh, interested, if you have a building project and you want to look at uh, the benefits and hire a green roof professional, <clears throat> then there are a lot of private sector benefits I haven't mentioned uh, in terms of uh, green roofs that uh, also, you know, are, are there. So it's sort of a public private benefit um, <clears throat> you can go to uh, www.greenroofs.org. Uh, that's our, our main website and look up for uh, GRP. We also have a quarterly magazine that covers a whole bunch of articles um, on different aspects of green roof and wall development around the world. And that's uh, livingarchitecturemonitor.com yeah. and the current issues on biodiversity. So there's a number of articles and research on how to design green roofs for improved biodiversity um, wow. so that we can continue to maintain the web of life. Yeah. Steve, uh, as much as we possibly can. Steve, I am completely blown away by everything that you're telling us, and you are wonderfully articulate and passionate. And uh, I think we need to all learn a lot more and uh, make sure we green our, our cities and our towns in the, in the way you're speaking about. It sounds like there's multiple benefits, and it's hard to come up with a single liability. Thank you so much for coming on uh, my program here, and um, uh, it's just great being able to let more people know about what you're uh, what you're talking about thank you so much thank you frank bye for now bye